Hello and welcome back to another episode of Bombato, the Scandinavian La Liga podcast. I am Lee Roden and I am with Alexandra Jonsson. Alex, where have you been this week on your busy football travels? I have been in Madrid. First off, I went there on Wednesday um, and it was basically running from one place to another because I tried this time to take the train from Vigo to Madrid. And that's a very long train ride. And a lot of that train ride is in the mountains with no connection uh, on your phone. So no internet or nothing. And it feels like when you look when you have connection and you look at Google Maps, it feels like you're not moving uh, for a very long time. So that took some time. And then when I got to Madrid, I went basically directly uh, to Atletico Madrid's training ground or one of them because I realized they have three different training grounds. Uh, they have one which is for preseason. They have one which is mainly for the first team, and they have one where the women's team play their matches at their own stadium, which was very confusing. And luckily, I found that out before I got there, so I didn't go wrong. Uh, so I got there basically about a minute before the match kicked off. So I was very proud of that. But the match was a uh, Champions League uh, last 16 between Atletico de Madrid and Manchester City. So quite a, a big match and a very big match historically for Atletico Madrid. Uh, they had played 1-1, I think it was, in, in Manchester. And uh, they were up 2-0 when Manchester City scored um, in, the, in the last minute. So it was some quite nerve-wracking last minutes there but Atletico held out and for the first time in their history the Atletico Madrid women's team made it to the quarterfinals of the Champions League so that was really cool to be there it was a full stadium a bit over I think 2,500 can fit there um, so it's a good day for, for women's football and quite cool to, to get to be there and, and see it as well. Well, that's a positive development as well, considering that Barca made the final last year as well. Now that Atleti are taking a step forward in Europe, that can only be a good thing, I would think. Yeah. And so that was my first football this week. I kind of ditched La Liga midweek for, for Atletico Madrid's women's team. Sometimes you have to do that too. And I think that was completely worth it. It was that or uh, watching Real Madrid Leganes. And I felt I'd try to go and <laughs> go and see some history being make, made by Atleti. Uh, but I did went to Bernabeu, uh, what was it, yesterday? No, Saturday. I'm so confused mm. by the days. Uh, for a fantastic football match between Real Madrid and Real Betis. I've never seen better football in my life. So then yesterday, um, well, firstly, after the Real Madrid match, I went back because it's a late match and then uh, I was uh, meeting up with some friends. I went to bed uh, a bit too late, I'd say, uh, because I had a morning flight yesterday. Uh, I got back to Vigo, landed at the airport and go out through the doors and there's the Hotafe bus standing with open doors waiting for me to enter it. And uh, then I realized I'm not really a La Liga player, so it wasn't actually for me. So I took the cab that was behind it. Uh, and my plan was that I was going to go to, uh, to Celta Hotafe yesterday. But I'm going to to put my be completely honest here and tell you that I didn't because I was lazy. I was so tired. Mm-hmm. The weather was horrible and I didn't really feel that excited about going to Salta Huatafe while I could barely keep my eyes open and looking out and it being completely, you can't basically see anything because of the fog, raining. So I actually for one of the first times in my life, skipped going to a La Liga match that I could have gone to and that I had planned to go to. In the end, I don't think I missed too much, to be honest. Well, we'll revisit that later because there's plenty to come out of that game. But uh, first, I think it's only fitting to talk about the top of the table clash in La Liga. Yes, 
top of the table clash in La Liga between Granada and Real Sociedad yesterday. The result of which is that Real Sociedad are now level on points with Barcelona and Real Madrid. And I did a bit of maths, or not really maths, just some counting. And they're already way above the points tally that they had the last time they made the Champions League, which was 2013, I think, when Antoine Griezmann and Carlos Vela were there. Uh, they're not quite on course with uh, the time that they were in a league title race in the early 2000s, but still, uh, they're doing very, very well indeed. Exceeded even, I think, our optimistic expectations at the start of the season, because I remember both of us said when we looked at their squad that they had the potential to possibly push on and make Europe. I think now it's a reality that they're in the fight for Europe. There's no question about that. But the thing that stuck out about this game, I mean, from our point of view, it, sadly, is that Martin Odegaard couldn't play because he was injured. But then what we saw is something that perhaps we've not really talked about enough on this this podcast is that they have a lot of depth in the attacking areas. Um, and that proved to be the case when Adnan Yanazai came off the bench and set up the winning goal. I was sure this was going to finish in a draw. It had that feeling towards the end of the game. I don't know what you thought. Yeah, but I think uh, as like if we look back to, to last season, they had Yanazai, they had Vilan Jose, they had Oyar Sabal. Uh, they had difficulties getting all of them to, to perform regularly. Uh, it felt like William Jose was the the most outstanding one of the of the three, and the one who kind of got the other two to play good when they played good. And if he didn't, they didn't basically. But what we're seeing this season with the signings they did this summer is that they have they had good forwards or good attacking players already last season, and now they have a much bigger depth where those players are actually not the always the first pick, as uh, so to speak. You have Isaac, you have Porto, and and so on. And I think the what that creates more than it creates it creates depth, but it also create it creates competitiveness, which makes that every player needs to to perform because you know that there is a lot of good players there that could have that position. So it puts you in a completely different position uh, in that sense, and I think that has helped Real Sociedad a lot because that was one of the things that they were lacking last season was that they weren't didn't have that consistency up front. Uh, I think it's also something that occurred to me we should give some credit to Imanol Alguacil because I know that you were a doubter in the beginning but they look like a very well coached team the way they move they seem to be very much in sync they look well prepared so I mean maybe it was the case that he just had to grow into his job he had to step up from quite a different environment to take that job full time and at the moment it's hard to find anything at fault with what he's doing he seems to be balancing his squad keeping people hungry and getting results and and there I think it's that's quite it's an, an interesting thing and it's also quite worth pointing out that the results that he got last season it was if you looked at his at the coaching things weren't really going that well uh, the team looked quite lost but they were quite lucky with getting a lot of getting the results with them um, which shows that sometimes maybe you should just have patience with your coach. Because in this sense, I think that had Real Sociedad not, not been getting the results with them, playing the way they were playing, I'm not sure Imanol would be the coach at the start of the season. Uh, so you have to have that kind of luck with you as well. And if you just hold out with a coach, sometimes it can, or as we are seeing now, if they just get the right players, if they get, they get the right time to have the preseason and everything. Uh, you get uh, a completely something completely different out of it. These days, it's just so easy. As soon as things on the pitch are not looking perfectly, or just as you want it from the gecko, to just say that this is the wrong man and, and kick him out. Yeah, I don't think people realize just how important preseasons are sometimes because sometimes you get coaches who can come in and maybe turn something around with a, a more 
straightforward approach but usually in the long term that doesn't work out to be a sustainable method as we'll come back to later actually with celta probably um but to on the subject of maybe not looking just at the results but looking at the performances i have to be honest i thought that uh before they got the winner and like i said i, I felt like they were heading for a draw and above all it was because there was space opening up in the game in the last half hour granada are a super disciplined side but i think having to play three games in a week took its toll on them a little bit uh, and it really felt to me like uh, Real Sociedad missed Martin Erdegaard's final ball. There would be players would get into that position. Maybe it would be Oryasabal or later on it was uh, Yanisai. But they didn't quite have the precision in the past that he has. And I think even though they took the result, which is a great review and a, a positive review of their squad, it also at the same time showed to me just how important he is to them. Uh, and I think more times than not, that's going to make a big difference for them if he's not playing that they'll, they'll lack that little bit of cutting edge in the final third. So I, I don't think we can overstate how important a Norwegian is right now for them. It's a little bit when uh, Anders Christiansen is not playing for Malmö FF, isn't it? No, 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 we, we stopped there. Okay, we continue with Real Sociedad. We don't have to talk more about that. Um, <laughs> I agree with you. And, and also I think what's uh, interesting with Real Sociedad is that if we look at the game they played here uh, at Balaidos, uh, it wasn't one of the best games this season either. I think that was also a lot because Celta put a lot of focus on on Odegaard and kicking him uh, and being an annoyance to him, and he didn't have one of his best games. Uh, but what we always talk about when we talk about successful football teams, I think, is and, and teams that end up champions. Now, I'm not saying Real Sociedad are going to end up champions, but in their case, it's more about a team ending up taking a Champions League spot. Is that even when you're not at your best, uh, you win the games. And even when you have things that is going against you or you struggle for one reason or another, in this case, not having Martin Odegaard, uh, that you still take the points and having that mentality to do that. And I think there is a lot of things to look at this Real Sociedad uh, team. There's You have the youngest team in La Liga, as we've talked about so many times. It's going to be very interesting to see with the season going on, uh, how this team can handle it with pressure and everything. Uh, as even though they, it's a young team, it's a lot of players that are experienced, but it's still a very young team. So how they're going to handle that as the season goes on, on would be very interesting. But another, but there's both the pros and cons. There's a, one thing that we haven't really talked about, which is the fact that they played a lot more away games than they played home games this season because they started mm. not playing home games. So they have that going in their favor. And just in general, they are the team, without a doubt, I think, that having pressed the most that have played the best football um in a season where basically mo the majority of teams not just the top teams but also the competitors as we could call them has not really lived up to to the normal standards so i think uh, at this point we're seeing when you were talking about europe for i think for else that it's about is it going to be europa league or is it going to be champions league uh but if the the top keeps on being bottling up as they're doing, we might actually end up seeing Real Sociedad. I'm not saying they're going to win the league. I, I don't think they will, but like be an annoyance up there and being a challenger no. in another way. Um, at the same time, we're so, so early into the season. Yeah. Again, this is a very young team. This is a, might be the best Real Sociedad team in decades, but it's very early and there's a lot of hype going around in this team. Um, so, and they haven't really hit that when things go bad completely yet. So it, there's a very, very long way to go, but it's, it's just very exciting, but we also need to keep our heads cool a bit, I think about them. 
Yeah, I mean, we're like a third of the way through the season. Uh, one of the things I'm really looking forward to is the game against Real Madrid coming up because there's so many narratives involved in that game. We'll get to that that game when it comes closer, but you've got Odegaard against, because there's no fear clause anymore, as they call it, Odegaard against his parent club, and then Real Sociedad also, who are playing way better than Real Madrid at the moment, having a potential uh, statement to make at that point. But I think we should probably come back to the, the home side who didn't take a result. And now it's a little bit of a... I don't want to call it a bad run, but it's a couple of negative results for Granada. But still, uh, it felt like they were in this game. They fought back from being a goal down to really give uh, Real Sociedad a fight yesterday. Uh, one guy I wanted to talk about briefly, and it's only because I had my eye on him a little bit recently for work reasons, but Yangel Herrera is a phenomenal midfielder, man. And I think you didn't really get to see that at Huesca, and it, it's partially because Huesca were such a disaster last season. And actually... There are other players who played at Wesker last season who have since proved to be very good. I'm quite interested to see what happens with him because Manchester City still own him. Obviously, he's out on loan there. And he's one of those players who plays in a position where they're going to need cover in the near future. Not necessarily as first choice, but at least as backup when Fernandinho finally bows out. So I wouldn't close the door completely on, on him getting a shot, at least in preseason there. Although I did, I spoke to Carlos Ponte, who works over at La Liga TV, is Venezuelan and knows Venezuelan football inside out. And he says that he's perhaps not quite the right fit for Guardiola's style of football. We'll see. Um, but yeah, Granada, we should we should give them more props, I think, because they deserve it, even if it didn't quite work out their way in the end. Yeah, I think, as, as we mentioned a little bit before, we're all extremely surprised what they're doing. And even though we keep on saying it's too early in the season... It's still, we've still gone, I think, 12 matches and we still have Granada up there. And this is a team where we expected would probably be able to make it stay in La Liga, but would definitely be down in the relegation battle. And they might still be. It's very, very early. But it's so impressive uh, what they have done uh, so far. And they deserve all the credit they are getting. Um, and I think when you are up there after 12 rounds, it's not just about luck. It's about being very smart in how you do st stuff and, and doing really, really well. No, and they haven't been taking lucky results either, I wouldn't say. if you The, the performances match the results in general, so all credit to them. And I think they're going to bounce back. This will be a test of them now, but I, I feel like they have the, the structure to come back from a couple of setbacks. Speaking of luck, I, I, I guess you could argue that it's in some way luck that Barcelona, Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid remain so tight to the top as they do right now because the performances generally haven't been great. I would say how... How crap are the big three? Let's be frank about it. They're really crap. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, so to start with the game that I was at this weekend with uh, Real Madrid, Real Betis, I told you it was the most amazing football I've ever seen. Uh, very much a lie. So it's a match. It's ended nil-nil. Um, and to be honest, Betis was horrible. But Real Madrid was horrible. When the match started, this, like the first few minutes... Uh, Real Madrid still played bad, but looking how bad the defense of Betis was, it was like, okay, this is probably going to end up being a big, big win for Real Madrid, which I think showcased just how bad Real Madrid are at the moment, that they can't even score a goal against a Real Betis side that is playing, to be frank, a really, really badly game. And it was at the moment where uh, we were sitting and asking ourselves, why is Ruby not doing any substitutions in order to try to make Betis play better? Uh, because he had several players on the bench that he could put in. And uh, we were like closing in on, I don't know when he did the first substitution, but it was closing in on 80 minutes and he hadn't done any. Uh, and what we this what we came up with was that, well, he's probably as surprised as everyone else 
that Real Betis is, play, is still playing nil-nil with Real Madrid at the Bernabeu and he's just afraid of messing it up. And that, that was actually, I think, third consecutive match for Betis without letting in a goal at the Bernabeu, which is a new record. And it's so strange because it's Betis, uh, who we all know are not famous for defending or defence. Sure, Real Madrid did score a goal that was uh, disallowed due to offside by Hazard. But in general, like the football, like it wasn't... There, there's one thing when Barcelona Real Madrid lose points against other teams and it's like, okay, they had a really off game, they played bad, uh, whatever, but the other team also deserved credit because they did this good, they did this good. And you need to, normally you need to have Barcelona and Real Madrid have a bad day while you have a good day in order to take points off them. But this was basically Real Betis having a bad day, Real Madrid having a bad day and it ending nil-nil. Um, and if I was a Real Madrid fan, I would be really really shocked about that and worried about that and if I was a Betis fan I would be like on the moon but super surprised and not understanding because this team is shit and we need like things are not working out and I think a lot of Betis fans at this moment still want uh, Ruby out are very like, not happy with the current situation because it's not really been a good good start to the season for Betis but they're just like what how how is that even possible I mean, it's a real lifeline for Ruby as well after taking a big three points at the death earlier in the weekend and getting this one. So I'm I'm a big, big defender. Ruby, I'll defend him to the death. But I, I think even I or even he would say this is not one of their finest nights. But on the other hand, the, the fact that, that it wasn't a good night for Real Madrid could just be something in isolation if it wasn't the case that they've had a lot of not good nights for quite a lot of time. So then it stops being something fortuitous and it becomes something significant. And I'm surprised, like, look, I don't know about you, but I've been looking at the, the reaction in the Spanish press today and it feels like Zidane's not really getting much attacks for this, for lack of a better term. It seems almost like now this is a new normal mm-hmm. for Real Madrid, that they've just accepted this level of mediocrity in some way and it's not newsworthy anymore. And I'm like, looking at his record, man, it's, it's, it's worse than Santiago Solari's was after 11 games in charge I'm, I'm, uh, last season. I mean, so amazing away with the entire Zidane situation because he's never really been a good coach. Um, I mean, yes, he won Champions League. He did uh, have a lot of merits and titles to his name, uh, but it came much more from from being able to managing a team that already was well coached before, mm. uh, but he that needed someone to manage them, and that was what he was good at. But in coaching terms, he's never been good. He wasn't good when he was at Real Madrid Castilla. He's never been good at Real Madrid, and at the start, it was okay, but. He's never going to lose the job. He like the the records he had with Real Madrid Castilla. Any other coach who's been coaching the, the Real Madrid Castilla has been sacked from that. He got a promotion mm. to the first team, and he's lived on his name for a really really long time. Um, and we all knew that it will take a lot for Zidane to get fired from Real Madrid because he's seen it in Zidane. And then we got to a point where people are actually started to criticize him, but he still doesn't get fired because he's still Zidane. And now we got to a yeah. point where okay, this is just how it is. And, and people kind of leave it at that, which is just insane. I've I've kind of like, well, I agree with you because I remember when he was at Castilla, he didn't do well. He failed to meet the expectations that, that were expected of him. And then when Benitez goes, he gets the job. And I like I, I maybe looked like an idiot at the time, but I remember after, I think it was maybe four or five games when he was first team coach the first time around, I did this sort of deep analysis of them and said, they haven't improved in any meaningful way. And the signs are that he's probably not capable of making them improve. And then he goes on and wins like three Champions Leagues and people think, well, you're an absolute buffoon. But I think there was evidence there. The one I have to I have to defend him to an extent for lack of a better word, or I have to 
pull back my criticism because I think his best year, the year they won the league and the Champions League, there, there were some some signs of detail there, and and especially over the course of a league season, it's it's very hard to luck your way to a, a league title. But whatever he did that season, or whatever he did differently, or whatever was going in his way that season, he doesn't seem able to replicate it. Uh, the evidence this year is that he's not going to be able to change this. And I, I don't know at which point Madrid have to consider another option, but if it was like we say this every week. Yeah, and I think the the thing, the big difference with Zidane um, and why he was successful then and why it isn't now was because the Real Madrid team that he took over then was a very good team that lacked someone to manage them. They lacked someone mm. who, uh, they needed a coach that the players respected and that the player would listen to. And they didn't have that before. And Zidane, with everything that Zinedine Zidane is, everything that he's been as a Real Madrid player, is someone the players respect because he was one of the best. And he, whatever he tells them to do, he he can do better than probably they can. Uh, and he says it's not that. And that was exactly what that Real Madrid team needed um, and in order to get the best out of them because they already knew how to play. He just needed them to play together, and that what he was what he managed to do, and what he was really good to do and at doing. And you can't take that away from him. But the Real Madrid team that he's at now, the Real Madrid team he took over when he got back, is a complete different situation. It's a team that desperately needs a coach, someone to coach them, someone to find the right tactics and make them play. And that's something that we've never, to be honest, it's like the off games here and there. Maybe he's done some good tactics, but. In, in general, it's something we've never really seen Zinedine Zidane do. Uh, speaking for the subject of respect for coaches, we'll move on to team number two of the three that underwhelmed at the top. Um, and I think probably the team that had the most damning result, Barcelona are ahead against Levante. And then I, I don't know if it was 15 minutes. There was definitely two goals within 10 minutes. It might have been three within 15 or slightly more than that. Levante come back. The, the way that Barca switched off in this game should be alarming, I think. Especially considering, okay, we, we saw these big incidents of it maybe once a season before at Anfield, at, at Roma. But now we're seeing it a third of the way into the campaign and the league and a team that they're already ahead. Of, and it never used to be that these problems cre- crept into their, their league performances under Ernesto Barberde. It suggests to me that they're, they're not, they don't have the same focus that they used to have. The focus that was demanded of them uh, one way or another by Luis Enrique in particular by Pep Guardiola those people are high standards to set I know but you always felt like the players were on their toes under those guys and I just wonder now if Valverde's message isn't getting through quite as strongly as it once was no I don't think it does I think we got to a point I think also the criticism in media the criticism from fans uh it comes to a point where that affects as well I'd, I'd guess and you might say that the players don't read anything but it's also difficult to avoid it um and when everyone else is doubting the coach i think you get to a point where it's easy for the players to start doing the same and it's easy for them to or maybe not start doubting him but listen less if we if you put Mm -hmm. it like that um and it's i think it's impossible not to argue that barcelona are at the point now where they need a change where this has gone on for too long and even though both of us have defended Valverde a lot, it is at a point now, he's been there for quite a long time already, where I think what Barcelona needs is a change. And as we said before, they still need to find their new identity, which they haven't really done. Actually, curiously, I, I here's one to throw your memory back at. I remembered recently that 
once upon a time, so it would have been just when Balverde was appointed, you and I had a short-lived uh, video series that we did on YouTube. And I remember one of the questions, I don't know why it stuck with me, but one of the questions that we talked about on that one was, is Balverde the right man for the Barca job? And I think the conclusion we reached at the time was that he's the right man because there's not really anyone else available. And what they need right now is a safe hands for this kind of transitional period. And I think, to be honest, we nailed it. But the problem is now that transitional period is over and it's time for new ideas. And I've been thinking a lot lately about this. There's, there's a kind of repetitive part, pattern in Barca's history where the people who come in coincidentally or otherwise that turn things around are Dutch. Renus Michels comes in and wins the first league title since I think it was 1960 when he was coached there. Cruyff comes in and sort of brings in this golden era at Barca. Van Hal comes in and all right, maybe in, in his due to his second spell and the way it ended more than anything he's not remembered quite as fondly but he wins the double for the first time in decades I think it is and he brings through young players that were the future of the team in the long term and Rijkaard comes in and, and resurrects them as a European force and I just wonder if it's you know Ten Hag's at Ajax he's doing incredible things he's playing a kind of football that's a more modern version I would say of, of what Barca used to do it's a little bit more mixed with the the high tempo game that the, the game has become Bayern need a coach too and I feel like Barca if they're going to get this guy they're going to have to move to try and tie it down quickly because it, for me he feels like he would be that he ticks all the boxes for them not now it will have to be in the summer but he, he's a standout guy and I just wonder if there's a bit of destiny and fate involved in, in that but we'll see I don't know what the club's thinking yeah and I think that is a good way to move on to our to our next topic as we are in talking about coaches then let's keep on talking about coaches I guess so here yesterday, when I decided not to go to Balaidos, um, Celta decided that Fran Escriba is not going to go to Balaidos either. Uh, well, not to that match, but to the next match. Uh, so they have finally, I'd say, everyone, I guess, expected it. It's been unavoidable uh, that Fran Escriba has been sacked. We talked a little bit about this already in the last podcast about who should be his replacement. I think now we have a little bit clearer who are the actual candidates. So the names that's been going around the last couple of days is Abelardo has been going around since before we talked about him. And then the last couple of days, the big name has been Santiago Solari, who we are going to get into more deeply, I'd say. Take this for what it is, but according to Noticias Celta, Carlos Mourinho confirma que el nuevo entrenador será español y se confirmará esa misma tarde. So we, we could have a, a new Celta coach by the end of the day. So... If that's true, and that's only on a, a Twitter account, it's not nothing official, that would rule out Solari. But I think we should talk about Solari as a, as a coaching candidate for any job anyway, because I think he's an important person who has probably a bit of a tarred reputation, and it's not really quite fair to consider to what he's done. I know that you think more highly of him than I do, than, than other people <laughs> do. <laughs> Sorry, Santiago. No, but um, but if we like take up these things that people are saying against him and actually point out, we can see if we can pick holes on them. So one of the things, so the things here that I've seen from, from Salta fans, why they wouldn't like him at Salta, would be that he doesn't have the experience. He's too inexperienced. It becomes an experiment like Cardoso, like Antonio Mohamed, and Salta have done that. He's not from here. He's not from Vigo. He doesn't know the club. Yada, yada. Um, and his philosophy is not the Celta philosophy. Boom, 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 boom. And here I would like to start with the first one. Uh, actually, he has quite a lot more experience than Cardoso or Antonio Mohamed when it comes to La Liga. He coached Real Madrid. Uh, we're going to get into that a little bit more and how I think he's been quite un, 
criticized more than he actually deserves for what he did at Real Madrid. Uh, mm-hmm. But he had an entire, I, thought, I think he has 32 La Liga matches or something like that in, in total as uh, a coach. And so that it makes him more experienced, La Liga experienced, than Berisso was when he came to Salta. More La Liga wow. experienced than Unse was when he came to Salta. And more La Liga experienced than Esubio was when he came to Salta. So for for Celta fans that are especially two of them are coaches who made a huge difference at the club. So maybe not point on the experience part in, in this case, I would say. Um they're not from here, doesn't know the club, but he does know some of the players quite well. I'd say one thing that I think Celta fans are interested in is one of the main things when they say not from here is that they want a coach that care about the youth academy, that care about bringing mm. up players. This is actually something Solari is very good at doing that we saw at Real Madrid, Absolutely. for example. Um, and then philosophy, I think they are pointing him down more of, of a de- more defensive than he actually is as a coach. I think he's uh, a bit more offensive than than the general thought would say. I actually think the Santiago Solari is a super flexible coach, <laughs> and I know exactly why that's the case. <laughs> it's very specifically because when they played against Real Betis last season, uh, coming back to Betis, it's always Betis, Real Madrid, he allowed Betis to bring the ball into Real Madrid's half, which was something that he didn't allow against any other team. But he realized that Betis are way more likely to lose the ball in that position in the pitch. And so he, he set up for, accordingly. They would always consistently win the ball in that area, Real Madrid in that game, and they beat them. So it shows that he has some ability to change his tactics according to who the opponent is. And then I also think, like he, if you look at some of the players that shone under him, they haven't exactly pulled up any trees since. I mean, the one that I mentioned to you in the WhatsApp group before, who was a, a young player, is Vinicius, who's never looked as good since he's gone. So I, I don't know if there's reason to criticize his uh, or to be to, to be skeptical about his capacity to deal with academy players. I actually think that's a standout factor that he has in his in his credit and also because what his previous job was at Real Madrid. And if you go back to, to the Real Madrid job, as we said before, he gets a lot of criticism for that time. But he actually was the coach, I think, during that season. They had several coaches that got the most points and got the best results. And then, yeah. so he, I think he gets way much more credit than than he deserves for, for him as a coach. And it would be really interesting to see him. Now, I think, uh, as as we saw this this tweet, that he's probably not going to be the Salsa coach. But I think he's quite a good... It would be quite interesting to see him coach a team... Uh, a medium me, medium La Liga team or, or something yep. like that. And I think he could be, be actually a good option and, and that could be a, a interesting. So, um, And we have Oscar Garcia, which I find interesting <laughs> now that first we get the, the message from, from Marca that Oscar Garcia is now the leading candidate. And then directly after we get that Celta are probably going to announce today and it's going to be a Spanish coach. It feels wrong in some way. It feels like Oscar Garcia's like running joke has been that he just gets constantly linked with jobs in La Liga and never takes them. And all the time, the myth of Oscar Garcia grows greater and grows stronger. So let's just go through Oscar Garcia quickly. This is a coach who was coaching at the Barca Youth Academy, was incredible. I think the, when he was at Juvenil, that was the best season yeah. in the history of the club for Juvenil. Uh, what happened at Barcelona was that he had a, fel- a, fel- a fallout with uh, club president Sandro Rosell. So Oscar Garcia wanted the Barca B job um, and everything made sense for Oscar Garcia to take the B team job. But basically that didn't happen. 
And he got kind of angry about that. Oscar Iglesias got upset about that, decided to leave the club. Um, I think Rosell was quite happy with him leaving the club because Oscar Garcia, as most of you might know, some might not, uh, used to be a Barca player. Uh, so he was a part of, of uh, playing with Guardiola and, and that team and is very close to, to Guardiola had, mm-hmm. uh, and, and to Cruyff as well. And especially during this time, he was seen from the Rosell eyes, I guess, as a Guardiola Cruyff person. Yep. He was part of that, very close with these guys, the guys that Rosell didn't really like. So it was kind of unavailable, I think, that he would end up leading the club. He went to Israel, to Tel Aviv, which I think was his first coaching job on senior level. Yeah. He won. He won a trophy there. Yeah, and that's the thing. That's where for me, like, first you start with how amazing was at Barça with Juvenil, but so his first coaching job, he went to to Israel to Maccabi Tel Aviv, and this was a team that had the season previously been struggling a lot. Like they have been uh, playing, I think to. Uh, to avoid relegation and just avoided relegation. He got there, got to know that he didn't have got any economic uh, help. He wasn't allowed to do any signings. He basically got to have the same team as the season before uh, and couldn't do any changes in that terms. He ended the season winning the league with this team that the season before had been on the verge of being relegated with no change of players or staff or anything. Just basically Oscar Garcia, um, and that's for me when when the real myth of Oscar Garcia starts, you know. But I think that another really outstanding job for him was when he was at uh, Red Bull Salzburg, which which has a uh, a link to his philosophy as well, I think, because you have Jonathan Soriano was there, who mm-hmm. was obviously very successful at Barca as well. Uh, but the thing with Oscar Garcia, which I've read with interviews with him and things like that, is that he's never as as we're going to get back to, he's never actually coached a La Liga team. In Spain, he's only coached uh, youth teams at Barca. And what I've gathered from, from interviews with him is the reason for this is that he wanted to leave Spain and learn every aspect of the coaching job and be, go to as many different countries as possible and coach as many different kind of clubs as possible in order to involve as a coach, which I found really interesting. And I've always been waiting for the day for this guy to return and actually coach a La Liga team and see what he can do with that. I wonder. Uh, this is something that I, when when his name came up, I sort of slowly started to think and putting the pieces together in my head and doing the, the dates in my head. And it was right. Uh, he has coached Rafinha before. Yes. Rafinha was, it was in that season where he was coming up to Barca B and going back down to the Juvenil A and, and Oscar was his coach and Oscar was the, the person that moved him a bit further forward as well initially. So I wonder if Rafinha may have put in a good work for his, because in theory, I mean, Rafinha should be, when I look at Celta's squad, after Iago Aspas, if he's playing at his peak, he's a player who should be Celta's best player. He's certainly the one who has the most talent. Oscar did have, I mean, I don't know what the, the exact specific outcome of it was, who said no to who, but he did have a chance to go back to Barca. I think it was when Andoni Zubizarreta was sacked and they were looking for a director of football. I think there was some conversations, or at least some initial conversations with him, and he recognised that later on about possibly coming in as a director of football. But it would seem strange for for him anyway, for someone who's obviously a very talented coach, that would have been a weird job to take, uh, let alone with some people who you don't necessarily get on with. Well, we have spent a good probably... 20 minutes on Celtus. I feel like we should redress the Galician balance a little bit with 
someone from the very much other side of the divide in that part of Spain. Lucas Perez is back. He only, well, I was going to say he only scores golazos these days. That's not true. He, he scored a couple of simple ones now. But, I mean, it's really, I don't know about you, but I'm really happy to see him recovering some of the spark that he had because... To, to be honest, like ahead of the season, when I saw that Lucas Perez signed for Deportivo Leves, I was so happy. Uh, some of you might have seen when I did a list of the signings, uh, the top, my top 10, I think it was, favorite signings uh, in La Liga. And he was on it. And, and some people were asking about Lucas Perez. Uh, but that is because the way he was at Deportivo La Coruña. The first time. Yeah, the first time. And to have like the hope to get back get that back of him as well uh, again and the fact that he went to Deportivo Alaves is significant here as well I would say so for those who doesn't know the Lucas Perez story is that this is a kid who grew up in A Coruña being the biggest Deportivo La Coruña fan that you can be dreaming of playing for Depor um, and he tried out for their youth teams I think he got to play a tournament with them so there is pictures of him as a kid at Deportivo La Coruña but he was turned down yeah uh, he didn't get the chance at Deportivo La Coruña where he did get the chance was at another Deportivo, was at Deportivo Alaves. So he went to Deportivo Alaves when he was 15, 16. And now when he signed back for them, he actually said that it's so special to me to return to the club that believed in me. Because even though Deportivo La Coruña will always be his club, even though they turned him down, he obviously uh, got his chance, came back and is loved there now forever, I'd say, uh, for what he did there. But even though Deportivo La Coruña will always be his club, Deportivo Alaves is the club that actually believed in him. So he started the season not that impressive with Alaves, which uh, I was kind of sad to see because I was really hoping for him. And now he scored six goals in the last six games, which is why we're talking about him. All right, uh, closing point. I guess we should point out the fact that Sandro has scored for the first time since May 2017. I don't know if you saw this. There's two things about this that stand out for me. The first one is that he hasn't scored since May 2017, and then the goal he scores isn't absolute screamer which makes you think like you miss super simple chances and then you do that out of nothing and then the other one was that the via the lead fans were amazing and they've always been amazing to him i think despite his struggles but the way they reacted to it, it was like they'd won the league title or something in general i think Valladolid has some of the best fans in spain some of the most underrated ones because you never really talk about them uh but they are kind of almost second to to Betis in the term of how they support their team and how the stadium is basically always full. I mean, I think they're still expanding the stadium. They expanded it recently, and I think there's, there's plans to expand it even further now that Ronaldo's there. So they have a lot of supporters. They have a lot of really, really dedicated supporters. It's one of the grounds, and I've not managed to get there still uh, on my travels around Spain, but it's, it's a one, place that I have quite high on my list. It's one of the one, few ones I have left on my left, list, mm. and which one, one I'm definitely going to go to this season. And they also have undoubtedly the greatest player of all time in charge of them, which is Ronaldo. And I refuse to accept any other arguments to the contrary because honestly, these things aren't science. They're just sentiment. And to me, he's someone special. And he, so he's given me another reason to, to be particularly fond of them. There's an international break coming up and I guess it's a couple of weeks. So if there's going to be any more changes and jobs amongst the, the clubs in La Liga is likely to come before then because then players get to work. I know that Leganes apparently have just announced that Javier Aguirre is their coach, which is a blast from the past to say the least. And it would not surprise me even slightly if there's another one of these changes before the, the FIFA break because then managers actually get a chance to, to do some work and put some groundwork in when there's no games coming. And at, during the international break, we're going to do another 
look back in the past of uh, Scandinavians who've been in La Liga. So look out for that because that's going to be good. We should probably end this before someone else gets sacked. So I don't know. <laughs> any any closing thoughts, Alexander Jonsson? Oscar, I'll see you at the South Africa. So we'll see you next week. Bye.